0: Chapter 5 of Practical Religion by J. C. Ryle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2 Bible Reading. B. But the world is not only full of difficulties about points of doctrine, it is equally full of difficulties about points of practice. Every professing Christian who wishes to act conscientiously must know that it is so. The most puzzling questions are continually arising. He is tried on every side by doubts as to the line of duty, and can often hardly see what is the right thing to do. He is tried by questions connected with the management of his worldly calling, if he is in business or in trade. He sometimes sees things going on of a very doubtful character. Things that can hardly be called fair, straightforward, truthful, and doing as you would be done by. But then everybody in the trade does these things. They have always been done in the most respectable houses. There would be no carrying on a profitable business if they were not done. They are not things distinctly named and prohibited by God. All this is very puzzling. What is a man to do? He is tried by questions about worldly amusements, races, and balls, and operas, and theatres, and card parties. Are all very doubtful methods of spending time. But then he sees the numbers of great people taking part in them. Are all these people wrong? Can there really be such mighty harm in these things? All this is very puzzling. What is a man to do? He is tried by questions about the education of his children. He wishes to train them up morally and religiously and to remember their souls. But he is told by many sensible people that young persons will be young. That it does not do to check and restrain them too much. AND THAT HE OUGHT TO ATTEND PANTOMIMES AND CHILDREN'S PARTIES, AND GIVE CHILDREN'S BALLS HIMSELF. HE IS INFORMED THAT THIS nobleman OR THAT LADY OF RANK, ALWAYS DOES SO, AND YET THEY ARE RECKONED RELIGIOUS PEOPLE. SURELY, IT CANNOT BE WRONG. ALL THIS IS VERY PUZZLING. WHAT IS HE TO DO? THERE IS ONLY ONE ANSWER TO ALL THESE QUESTIONS. A man must make the Bible his rule of conduct. He must make its leading principles the compass by which he steers his course through life. By the letter or spirit of the Bible he must test every difficult point and question. To the law and to the testimony, what saith the Scripture? He ought to care nothing for what other people may think right. He ought not to set his watch by the clock of his neighbour but by the sundial of the word. I charge my readers solemnly to act on the maxim I have just laid down, and to adhere to it rigidly all the days of their lives. You will never repent of it. Make it a leading principle never to act contrary to the word. Care not for the charge of over-strictness and needless precision." Remember you serve a strict and holy God. Listen not to the common objection that the rule you have laid down is impossible and cannot be observed in such a world as this. Let those who make such an objection speak out plainly and tell us for what purpose the Bible was given to man. Let them remember that by the Bible we shall all be judged at the last day and let them learn to judge themselves by it here lest they be judged and condemned by it hereafter this mighty rule of faith and practice is the book about which i am addressing the readers of this paper this day surely it is no light matter what you are doing with the bible surely when danger is abroad on the right hand and on the left you should consider what you are doing with the safeguard which God has provided. I charge you, I beseech you, to give an honest answer to my question. What art thou doing with the Bible? Dost thou read it? How readest thou? In the seventh place, the Bible is the book which all true servants of God have always lived on and loved. Every living thing which God creates requires food. The life that God imparts needs sustaining and nourishing. It is so with animal and vegetable life, with birds, beasts, fishes, reptiles, insects and plants. It is equally so with spiritual life. When the Holy Ghost raises a man from the death of sin and makes him a new creature in Christ Jesus, The new principle in that man's heart requires food and the only food which will sustain it is the Word of God. There never was a man or woman truly converted from one end of the world to the other who did not love the revealed will of God. Just as a child born into the world desires naturally the milk provided for its nourishment, so does a soul born again. DESIRE THE SINCERE MILK OF THE WORD. THIS IS A COMMON MARK OF ALL THE CHILDREN OF GOD. THEY DELIGHT IN THE LAW OF THE LORD. PSALMS 1-2 SHOW ME A PERSON WHO DESPISES BIBLE READING OR THINKS LITTLE OF BIBLE PREACHING AND I HOLD IT TO BE A CERTAIN FACT THAT HE IS NOT YET BORN AGAIN. HE MAY BE ZEALOUS ABOUT FORMS AND CEREMONIES, HE MAY BE DILIGENT IN ATTENDING SACRAMENTS AND DAILY SERVICES, BUT IF THESE THINGS ARE MORE PRECIOUS TO HIM THAN THE BIBLE, I CANNOT THINK HE IS A CONVERTED MAN. TELL ME WHAT THE BIBLE IS TO A MAN AND I WILL GENERALLY TELL YOU WHAT HE IS. THIS IS THE PULSE TO TRY, THIS IS THE BAROMETER TO LOOK AT. IF WE WOULD KNOW THE STATE OF THE HEART, I have no notion of the Spirit dwelling in a man and not giving clear evidence of his presence, and I believe it to be a signal evidence of the Spirit's presence when the Word is really precious to a man's soul. Love to the Word is one of the characteristics we see in Job. Little as we know of this patriarch and his age, this at least stands out clearly. He says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. Job 23.12 Love to the word is a shining feature in the character of David. Mark how it appears all through that wonderful part of scripture. The 119th Psalm He might well say, Oh, how I love thy law! Psalm 119th 97. Love to the Word is a striking point in the character of Saint Paul. What were he and his companions but men mighty in the Scriptures? What were his sermons but expositions and applications of the Word? Love to the Word appears pre-eminently in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He read it publicly he quoted it continually. He expounded it frequently. He advised the Jews to search it. He used it as his weapon to resist the devil. He said repeatedly, the scripture must be fulfilled. Almost the last thing he did was to open the understanding of his disciples, that they might understand the scriptures. Luke twenty-four, forty-five. I am afraid that man can be no true servant of Christ who has not something of his master's mind and feeling toward the Bible. Love to the Word has been a prominent feature in the history of all the saints, of whom we know anything, since the days of the Apostles. This is the lamp which Athanasius and Chrysostom and Augustine followed, this is the compass which kept the valensis and abignessis from making shipwreck of the faith this is the well which was reopened by wycliffe and luther after it had been long stopped up this is the sword which latimer and jewel and knox won their victories this is the manna which fed baxter and owen and the noble host of the puritans and made them strong to battle This is the armory from which Whitfield and Wesley drew their powerful weapons. This is the mine from which Bickersteth and McChain brought forth rich gold. Differing as these holy men did in some matters, on one point they were all agreed. They all delighted in the word. Love, to the word, is one of the first things that appears in the converted heathen, at the various missionary stations throughout the world, in hot climates and in cold, among savage people and among civilized, in New Zealand, in the South Sea Islands, in Africa, in Hindustan. It is always the same. They enjoy hearing it read. They long to be able to read it themselves. They wonder why Christians did not send it to them before. How striking is the picture, which Mofat draws of Afrikaner, the fierce South African chieftain, when first brought under the power of the gospel. Often have I seen him. He says, under the shadow of a great rock, nearly the livelong day. Eagerly pursuing the pages of the Bible. How touching is the expression of a poor converted negro. Speaking of the Bible, he said, It is never old and never cold. How affecting was the language of another old negro, when some would have dissuaded him from learning to read, because of his great age. No, he said, I will never give it up till I die. It is worth all the labor to be able to read that one verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Love to the Bible is one of the grand points of agreement among all converted men and women in our own land. Episcopalians and Presbyterians, Baptists and Independents, Methodists and Plymouth Brethren, all unite in honouring the Bible, as soon as they are real Christians. This is the manna which all the tribes of our Israel feed upon, and find satisfying food. This is the fountain round which all the various portions of Christ's flock meet together, and from which no sheep goes thirsty away. Oh, that believers in this country would learn to cleave more closely to the written word. Oh, that they would see that the more the Bible, and the Bible only, is the substance of men's religion, the more they agree. It is probably there never was an uninspired book more universally admired than Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It is a book which all denominations of Christians delight to honour. It has won praise from all the parties. Now what a striking fact it is that the author was pre-eminently a man of one book. He had hardly read anything but the Bible. It is a blessed thought that there will be much people in heaven at last. Few as the Lord's people undoubtedly are at any one given time or place, yet all gathered together at last, they will be a multitude that no man can number. Revelations seven nine nineteen one. They will be of one heart and mind. They will have passed through like experience. They will all have repented, believed, lived holy prayerful and humble they will all have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb but what thing beside all this they will have in common they will all love the texts and doctrines of the bible the bible will have been their food and delight in the days of their pilgrimage on earth and the bible will be a common subject of joyful meditation and retrospect when they are gathered together in heaven. This book, which all true Christians live upon and love, is the subject about which I am addressing the readers of this paper this day. Surely it is no light matter what you are doing with the Bible. Surely it is matter for serious inquiry. Whether you know anything of this love to the Word, and have this mark of walking in the footsteps of the flock, cant 1.8, I charge you, i entreat you to give me an honest answer what art thou doing with the bible dost thou read it how readest thou eight in the last place the bible is the only book which can comfort a man in the last hours of his life death is an event which in all probability is before us all there is no avoiding it it is the river which each of us must cross I who write, and you who read, have each one day to die. It is good to remember this. We are all sadly apt to put away the subject from us. Each man thinks each man mortal, but himself. I want everyone to do his duty in life, but I also want everyone to think of death. I want everyone to know how to live, but I also want everyone to know how to die. Death is a solemn event to all. It is the winding up of all earthly plans and expectations. It is a separation from all we have loved and lived with. It is often accompanied by much bodily pain and distress. It brings us to the grave, the worm, and corruption. It opens the door to judgment and eternity, to heaven or to hell. It is an event after which there is no change or space for repentance. Other mistakes may be corrected or retrieved, but not a mistake on our deathbeds. As the tree falls, there it must lie. No conversion in the coffin. No new birth after we have ceased to breathe. And death is before us all. It may be close at hand. The time of our departure is quite uncertain. But sooner or later we must each lie down alone and die. All these are serious considerations. Death is a solemn event even to the believer in Christ. For him, no doubt, the sting of death is taken away. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five. Death has become one of his privileges, for he is Christ's. Living or dying, he is the Lord's. If he lives, Christ lives in him, and if he dies, he goes to live with Christ. To him, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 Death frees him from many trials, from a weak body, a corrupt heart, a tempting devil, and an ensnaring or persecuting world. Death admits him to the enjoyment of many blessings he rests from his labors the hope of a joyful resurrection is changed into a certainty he has the company of wholly redeemed spirits he is with christ all this is true and yet even to a believer death is a solemn thing flesh and blood naturally shrink from it To part from all we love is a wrench and trial to the feelings THE WORLD WE GO TO IS A WORLD UNKNOWN, EVEN THOUGH IT IS OUR HOME. FRIENDLY AND HARMLESS AS DEATH IS TO A BELIEVER, IT IS NOT AN EVENT TO BE TREATED LIGHTLY. IT ALWAYS MUST BE A SOLEMN THING. IT BECOMES EVERY THOUGHTFUL AND SENSIBLE MAN TO CONSIDER CALMLY HOW HE IS GOING TO MEET DEATH. GIRD UP YOUR LOINS LIKE A MAN AND LOOK THE SUBJECT IN THE FACE listen to me, while I tell you a few things about the end to which we are coming. The good things of the world cannot comfort a man when he draws near death. All the gold of California and Australia will not provide light for the dark valley. Money can buy the best medical advice and attendance for a man's body, but money cannot buy peace for his conscience, heart and soul. Relatives, loved FRIENDS AND SERVANTS CANNOT COMFORT A MAN WHEN HE DRAWS NEAR DEATH. THEY MAY MINISTER AFFECTIONATELY TO HIS BODILY WANTS. THEY MAY WATCH BY HIS BEDSIDE TENDERLY AND ANTICIPATE HIS EVERY WISH. THEY MAY SMOOTH DOWN HIS DYING PILLOW AND SUPPORT HIS SINKING FRAME IN THEIR ARMS. BUT THEY CANNOT MINISTER TO A MIND DISEASED. THEY CANNOT STOP THE ACHINGS OF A TROUBLED HEART. They cannot screen an uneasy conscience from the eye of God. The pleasures of the world cannot comfort a man when he draws near death. The brilliant ballroom, the merry dance, the midnight revel, the party to Epsom races, the card table, the box at the opera, the voices of singing men and singing women. all these are at length distasteful things. TO HEAR OF HUNTING AND SHOOTING ENGAGEMENTS GIVES HIM NO PLEASURE, TO BE INVITED TO FEASTS AND REGATTAS AND FANCY FAIRS GIVES HIM NO EASE, HE CANNOT HIDE FROM HIMSELF THAT THESE ARE HOLLOW, EMPTY, POWERLESS THINGS, THEY JAR UPON THE EAR OF HIS CONSCIENCE, THEY ARE OUT OF HARMONY WITH HIS CONDITION, THEY CANNOT STOP ONE GAP IN HIS HEART when the last enemy is coming in like a flood. They cannot make him calm in the unknown, even though it is our home. Friendly in prospect of meeting a holy God. Books and magazines cannot comfort a man when he draws near death. The most brilliant writings of Macaulay, or Dickens, will pall on his ear. The most able article in the Times will fail to interest him. The Edinburgh, and quarterly reviews will give him no pleasure. Punch and the illustrated news and the last new novel will lie unopened and unheeded. Their time will be past. Their vocation will be gone. Whatever they may be in health, they are useless in the hour of death. There is but one fountain of comfort for a man drawing near to his end, and that is the Bible, Chapters out of the Bible, texts out of the Bible, statements of truth taken out of the Bible, books containing matter drawn from the Bible, these are a man's only chance of comfort when he comes to die. I do not at all say that the Bible will do good, as a matter of course to a dying man, if he has not valued it before. I know, unhappily, too much of deathbeds to say that. I DO NOT SAY WHETHER IT IS PROBABLE THAT HE WHO HAS BEEN UNBELIEVING AND NEGLECTFUL OF THE BIBLE IN LIFE WILL AT ONCE BELIEVE AND GET COMFORT FROM IT IN DEATH, BUT I DO SAY POSITIVELY THAT NO DYING MAN WILL EVER GET REAL COMFORT EXCEPT FROM THE CONTENTS OF THE WORD OF GOD. ALL COMFORT FROM ANY OTHER SOURCE IS A HOUSE BUILT upon sand i lay this down as a rule of universal application i make no exception in favor of any class on earth kings and poor men learned and unlearned all are on a level in this matter there is not a jot of real consolation for any dying man unless he gets it from the bible chapters passages texts, promises, and doctrines of Scripture, heard, received, believed, and rested on. These are the only comforters I dare promise to anyone when he leaves the world. Taking the sacrament will do a man no more good than the popish extreme unction, so long as the word is not received and believed. Priestly absolution will no more ease the conscience than the incantations of a heathen magician. If the poor dying sinner does not receive and believe Bible truth, I tell everyone who reads this paper, that although men may seem to get on comfortably without the Bible while they live, they may be sure that without the Bible they cannot comfortably die. It was a true confession of the learned Selden, there is no book upon which we can rest in a dying moment but the bible i might easily confirm all i have just said by examples and illustrations i might show you the deathbeds of men who have affected to despise the bible i might tell you how voltaire and pain the famous infidels died in misery bitterness rage fear and despair I might show you the happy deathbeds of those who have loved the Bible and believed it, and the blessed effect the sight of their deathbeds had on others. Cecil, a minister whose praise ought to be in all churches, says, I shall never forget standing by the bedside of my dying mother. Are you afraid to die? I asked. No, she replied but why does the uncertainty of another state give you no concern? Because God has said, Fear not. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Isaiah forty-three, two. I might easily multiply illustrations of this kind, but I think it better to conclude this part of my subject by giving the result of my own observations as a minister. I have seen not a few dying persons in my time. I have seen great varieties of manner and deportment among them. I have seen some die sullen, silent, and comfortless. I have seen others die ignorant, unconcerned, and apparently without much fear. I have seen some die so wearied out with long illness That they were quite willing to depart and yet they did not seem to me at all in a fit state to go before god i have seen others die with professions of hope and trust in god without leaving satisfactory evidences that they were on the rock i have seen others die who i believe were in christ and safe and yet they never seemed to enjoy much sensible comfort i have seen some few dying in the full assurance of hope, and like Bunyan's steadfast, giving glorious testimony to Christ's faithfulness, even in the river. But one thing I have never seen, I never saw any one enjoy what I should call real, solid, calm, reasonable peace on his deathbed, who did not draw his peace from the Bible. And this I am bold to say, that the man who thinks to go to his deathbed without having the Bible for his comforter, his companion, and his friend, is one of the greatest madmen in the world. There are no comforts for the soul but Bible comforts, and he who has not got hold of these has got hold of nothing at all, unless it be a broken reed. The only comforter for a deathbed is the book about which I address the readers of this paper this day. Surely it is no light matter whether you read that book or not. Surely a dying man in a dying world should seriously consider whether he has got anything to comfort him when his turn comes to die. I charge you, I treat you, FOR THE LAST TIME TO GIVE AN HONEST ANSWER TO MY QUESTION, WHAT ART THOU DOING WITH THE BIBLE? DOST THOU READ IT? HOW READEST THOU? I HAVE NOW GIVEN THE REASONS WHY I PRESS ON EVERY READER THE DUTY AND IMPORTANCE OF READING THE BIBLE. I HAVE SHOWN THAT NO BOOK IS WRITTEN IN SUCH A MANNER AS THE BIBLE, THAT KNOWLEDGE OF THE BIBLE IS ABSOLUTELY NECESSARY TO SALVATION. THAT NO BOOK CONTAINS SUCH MATTER, THAT NO BOOK HAS DONE SO MUCH FOR THE WORLD GENERALLY, THAT NO BOOK CAN DO SO MUCH FOR EVERYONE WHO READS IT aright. THAT THIS BOOK IS THE ONLY RULE OF FAITH AND PRACTICE, THAT IT IS AND ALWAYS HAS BEEN THE FOOD OF ALL TRUE SERVANTS OF GOD, AND THAT IT IS THE ONLY BOOK WHICH CAN COMFORT MEN WHEN THEY DIE. All these are ancient things. I do not pretend to tell anything new. I have only gathered together old truths and tried to mold them into a new shape. Let me finish all by addressing a few plain words to the conscience of every class of readers. 1. This paper may fall into the hands of some who can read but never do read the Bible at all. Are you one of them? If you are, I have something to say to you. I cannot comfort you in your present state of mind. It would be a mockery and deceit to do so. I cannot speak to you of peace and heaven while you treat the Bible as you do. You are in danger of losing your soul. You are in danger because your neglected Bible is a plain evidence that you do not love God. THE HEALTH OF A MAN'S BODY MAY GENERALLY BE KNOWN BY HIS APPETITE. THE HEALTH OF A MAN'S SOUL MAY BE KNOWN BY HIS TREATMENT OF THE BIBLE. NOW YOU ARE MANIFESTLY LABOURING UNDER A SORE DISEASE. WILL YOU NOT REPENT? I KNOW I CANNOT REACH YOUR HEART. I CANNOT MAKE YOU SEE AND FEEL THESE THINGS. I CAN ONLY ENTER MY SOLEMN PROTEST AGAINST YOUR PRESENT TREATMENT OF THE BIBLE and lay that protest before your conscience i do so with all my soul oh beware lest you repent too late beware lest you put off reading the bible till you send for the doctor in your last illness and then find the bible a sealed book and dark as the cloud between the hosts of israel and egypt to your anxious soul BEWARE LEST YOU GO ON SAYING ALL YOUR LIFE MEN DO VERY WELL WITHOUT ALL THIS BIBLE READING AND FIND AT LENGTH TO YOUR COST THAT MEN DO VERY ILL AND END IN HELL. BEWARE LEST THE DAY COME WHEN YOU WILL FEEL HAD I BUT HONORED THE BIBLE AS MUCH AS I HAVE HONORED THE NEWSPAPER I SHOULD NOT HAVE BEEN LEFT WITHOUT COMFORT IN MY LAST HOURS. Bible-neglecting reader, I give you a plain warning. The plague cross is at present on your door. The Lord have mercy upon your soul. 2. This paper may fall into the hands of someone who is willing to begin reading the Bible, but wants advice on the subject. Are you that man? Listen to me, and I will give you a few short hints. For one thing, begin reading your Bible this very day. The way to do a thing is to do it, and the way to read the Bible is actually to read it. It is not meaning, or wishing, or resolving, or intending, or thinking about it, which will advance you one step. You must positively read. There is no royal road in this matter. Any more than in the matter of prayer. If you cannot read yourself, you must persuade somebody else to read to you. But one way or another, through eyes or ears, the words of Scripture must actually pass before your mind. For another thing, read the Bible with an earnest desire to understand it. Think not for a moment that the great object is to turn over a certain quantity of printed paper and that it matters nothing whether you understand it or not. Some ignorant people seem to fancy that all is done if they clear off so many chapters every day, though they may not have a notion what they are all about, and only know that they have pushed on their mark so many leaves. This is turning Bible reading into a mere form. It is almost as bad as the popish habit of buying indulgences, by saying an almost fabulous number of Ave Maria's and Paternosters, It reminds one of the poor Hottentot who ate up a Dutch hymnal book because he saw it comforted his neighbor's hearts. Settle it down in your mind as a general principle that a Bible not understood is a Bible that does no good. Say to yourself often as you read, what is all this about? Dig for the meaning like a man digging for Australian gold. Work hard, and do not give up the work in a hurry. C. For another thing, read the Bible with childlike faith and humility. Open your heart as you open your book, and say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Resolve to believe implicitly whatever you find there, however much it may run counter to your own prejudices. Resolve to receive heartily every statement of truth, whether you like it or not. Beware of that miserable habit of mind into which some readers of the Bible fall. They receive some doctrines because they like them. They reject others because they are condemning to themselves or to some lover, or relation, or friend. At this rate, the Bible is useless. Are we to be judges of what ought to be in the Word? Do we know better than God? Settle it down in your mind, that you will receive all, and believe all, and that what you cannot understand you will take on trust. Remember when you pray, you are speaking to God, and God hears you, but remember, when you read, God is speaking to you, and you are not to answer again, but to listen. D. For another thing, read the Bible in a spirit of obedience and self-application. Sit down to the study of it with a daily determination that you will live by its rules, rest on its statements, and act on its commands. Consider as you travel through every chapter, how does this affect my position and course of conduct? What does this teach me? It is poor work to read the Bible from mere curiosity and for speculative purposes, in order to fill your head and store your mind with opinions while you do not allow the book to influence your heart and life. That Bible is read best, which is practiced most. E. For another thing, read the Bible daily. Make it a part of every day's business to read and meditate on some portion of God's Word. Private means of grace are just as needful every day for our souls as food and clothing are for our bodies. Yesterday's bread will not feed the laborer today, and today's bread will not feed the laborer tomorrow. Do as the Israelites did in the wilderness. Gather your manna fresh every morning. Choose your own seasons and hours. Do not scramble over and hurry your reading. Give your Bible the best. And not the worst part of your time. But whatever plan you pursue, let it be a rule of your life to visit the throne of grace and the Bible every day. F. For another thing, read all the Bible, and read it in an orderly way. I fear there are many parts of the Word which some people never read at all. This is to say the least. A VERY PRESUMPTUOUS HABIT. ALL SCRIPTURE IS PROFITABLE. Second TIMOTHY 3.16 TO THIS HABIT MAY BE TRACED THAT WANT OF BROAD, WELL-PROPORTIONED VIEWS OF TRUTH, WHICH IS SO COMMON IN THIS DAY. SOME PEOPLE'S BIBLE READING IS A SYSTEM OF PERPETUAL DIPPING AND PICKING. THEY DO NOT SEEM TO HAVE AN IDEA OF REGULARLY GOING THROUGH THE WHOLE BOOK. This also is a great mistake. No doubt in times of sickness and affliction it is allowable to search out seasonable portions. But with this exception, I believe it is by far the best plan to begin the Old and New Testaments at the same time. To read each straight through to the end and then begin again. This is a matter in which every one must be persuaded in his own mind. I can only say it has been my own plan for nearly forty years, and I have never seen cause to alter it. For another thing, read the Bible fairly and honestly, determine to take everything in its plain, obvious meaning, and regard all forced interpretations with great suspicion. As a general rule, whatever a verse of the Bible seems to mean, it does mean. Cecil's rule is a very valuable one. The right way of interpreting Scripture is to take it as we find it, without any attempt to force it into any particular system. Well, said Hooker, I hold it for a most infallible rule in the exposition of Scripture, that when a literal construction will stand, the furthest from the literal is commonly the worst. H. In the last place, read the Bible with Christ continually in view. The grand primary object of all scripture is to testify of Jesus. Old Testament ceremonies are shadows of Christ. Old Testament judges AND DELIVERERS ARE TYPES OF CHRIST. OLD TESTAMENT HISTORY SHOWS THE WORLD'S NEED OF CHRIST. OLD TESTAMENT PROPHECIES ARE FULL OF CHRIST'S SUFFERINGS AND OF CHRIST'S GLORY YET TO COME. THE FIRST ADVENT AND THE SECOND, THE LORD'S HUMILIATION AND THE LORD'S KINGDOM, THE CROSS AND THE CROWN SHINE FORTH EVERYWHERE IN THE BIBLE. Keep fast hold on this clue, if you would read the Bible aright. I might easily add to these hints, if space permitted, few and short as they are, you will find them worth attention. Act upon them, and I firmly believe you will never be allowed to miss the way to heaven. Act upon them, and you will find light continually increasing in your mind. No book of evidence can be compared with that internal evidence which he obtains who daily uses the word in the right way. Such a man does not need the books of learned men like Pally and Wilson and Millivane. He has the witness in himself. The book satisfies and feeds his soul. A poor Christian woman once said to an infidel, i am no scholar i cannot argue like you but i know that honey is honey because it leaves a sweet taste in my mouth and i know the bible to be god's book because of the taste it leaves in my heart three this paper may fall into the hands of someone who loves and believes the bible and yet reads it but little i fear There are many such in this day. It is a day of bustle and hurry. It is a day of talking and committee meetings and public work. These things are very well in their way, but I fear that they sometimes clip and cut short the private reading of the Bible. Does your conscience tell you that you are one of the persons I speak of? Listen to me. AND I WILL SAY A FEW THINGS WHICH DESERVE YOUR SERIOUS ATTENTION. YOU ARE THE MAN THAT IS LIKELY TO GET COMFORT FROM THE BIBLE IN TIME OF NEED. TRIAL IS A SIFTING SEASON. AFFLICTION IS A SEARCHING WIND, WHICH STRIPS THE LEAVES OFF THE TREES, AND BRINGS TO LIGHT THE BIRDS' nests. NOW I FEAR THAT YOUR STORES OF BIBLE CONSOLATIONS MAY ONE DAY RUN VERY LOW. I fear lest you should find yourself at last on very short allowance and come into harbor weak, worn, and thin. You are the man that is likely never to be established in the truth. I shall not be surprised to hear that you are troubled with doubts and questionings about assurance, grace, faith, perseverance, and the like. The devil is an old and cunning enemy like the benjamites he can throw stones at a hair-breadth and not miss judges twenty sixteen, he can quote scripture readily enough when he pleases now you are not sufficiently ready with your weapons to be able to fight a good fight with him your armor does not fit you well your sword sits loosely in your hand you are the man that is likely to make mistakes in life. I shall not wonder if I am told that you have erred about your own marriage, erred about your children's education, erred about the conduct of your household, erred about the company you keep. The world you steer through is full of rocks and shoals and sandbanks. You are not sufficiently familiar either with the lights or charts. You are the man that is likely to be carried away by some spacious false teacher for a season. It will not surprise me if I hear that some one of those clever, eloquent men who can make the worse appear the better cause is leading you into many follies. You are wanting in ballast. No wonder if you are tossed to and fro like a cork on the waves. All these are uncomfortable things. I want every reader of this paper to escape them all. Take the advice I offer you this day. Do not merely read your Bible a little, but read it a great deal. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 Do not be a mere babe in spiritual knowledge. Seek to become well-instructed in the kingdom of heaven, and to be continually adding new things to old. A religion of feeling is an uncertain thing. It is like the tide, sometimes high and sometimes low. It is like the moon, sometimes bright and sometimes dim. A religion of deep, Bible knowledge is a firm and lasting possession it enables a man not merely to say I feel hope in Christ but I know whom I have believed 2nd Timothy 1 12, 4. this paper may fall into the hands of someone who reads the Bible much and yet fancies he is no better for his reading this is a crafty temptation of the devil at one stage he says do not read the Bible at all at another he says your reading does you no good give it up are you that man I feel for you from the bottom of my soul let me try to do you good do not think you are getting no good from the Bible merely because you do not see that good day by day the greatest effects are by no means those which make the most noise, and are most easily observed. The greatest effects are often silent, quiet, and hard to detect at the time they are being produced. Think of the influence of the moon upon the earth, and of the air upon the human lungs. Remember how silently the dew falls, and how imperceptibly the grass grows. There may be far more doing than you think in your soul by your Bible reading. The word may be gradually producing deep impressions on your heart, of which you are not at present aware. Often when the memory is retaining no facts, the character of a man is receiving some everlasting impression. Is sin becoming every year more hateful to you? Is Christ becoming every year more precious? Is holiness becoming every year more lovely and desirable in your eyes? If these things are so, take courage. The Bible is doing you good, though you may not be able to trace it out day by day. The Bible may be restraining you from some sin or delusion into which you would otherwise run it may be daily keeping you back and hedging you up and preventing many a false step ah you might soon find this out to your cost if you were to cease reading the word the very familiarity of blessings sometimes makes us insensible to their value resist the devil settle it down in your mind as an established rule that whenever you feel it at the moment or not you are inhaling spiritual health by reading the bible and insensibly becoming more strong five this paper may fall into the hands of some who really love the bible live upon the bible and read it much are you one of these Give me your attention, and I will mention a few things which we shall do well to lay to heart for time to come. Let us resolve to read the Bible more and more every year we live. Let us try to get it rooted in our memories and engrafted into our hearts. Let us be thoroughly well provisioned with it against the voyage of death who knows but we may have a very stormy passage sight and hearing may fail us and we may be in deep waters oh to have the word hid in our hearts in such an hour as that Psalms 119 11 let us resolve to be more watchful over our Bible reading every year that we live Let us be jealously careful about the time we give to it and the manner that time is spent let us beware of omitting our daily reading without sufficient cause let us not be gaping and yawning and dozing over our book while we read let us read like a london merchant studying the city article in the times or like a wife reading a husband's letter from a distant land let us be very careful that we never exalt any minister or sermon or book or tract or friend above the word cursed be that book or track or human counsel which creeps in between us and the bible and hides the bible from our eyes once more i say let us be very watchful the moment we open the bible the devil sits down by our side Oh, to read with a hungry spirit and a simple desire for edification. Let us resolve to honor the Bible more in our families. Let us read it morning and evening to our children and households, and not be ashamed to let men see that we do so. Let us not be discouraged by seeing no good arise from it. The Bible reading in a family has kept many a one from the Goal, the Workhouse, and the Gazette, IF IT HAS NOT KEPT HIM FROM HELL. LET US RESOLVE TO MEDITATE MORE ON THE BIBLE. IT IS GOOD TO TAKE WITH US TWO OR THREE TEXTS WHEN WE GO OUT INTO THE WORLD, AND TO TURN THEM OVER AND OVER IN OUR MINDS WHENEVER WE HAVE A LITTLE leisure. IT KEEPS OUT MANY VAIN THOUGHTS. IT CLINCHES THE NAIL OF DAILY READING. IT PRESERVES OUR SOULS FROM STAGNATING AND BEREATING CORRUPT THINGS. It sanctifies and quickens our memories, and prevents them becoming like those ponds where the frogs live, but the fish die. Let us resolve to talk more to believers about the Bible when we meet them. Alas, the conversation of Christians, when they do meet, is often sadly unprofitable. How many frivolous and trifling and uncharitable things are said? Let us bring out the Bible more and it will help to drive the devil away and keep our hearts in tune. Oh, that we may all strive so to walk together in this evil world, that Jesus may often draw near and go with us, as he went with the two disciples journeying to Emos. Last of all, let us resolve to live by the Bible more and more every year we live. Let us frequently take account of all our opinions and practices, of our habits and tempers, of our behavior in public and in private, in the world and by our own firesides. Let us measure all by the Bible, and resolve, by God's help, to conform to it. Oh, that we may learn increasingly to cleanse our ways by the Word. Psalms 119.9. I commend all these things to the serious and prayerful attention of every one into whose hands this paper may fall. I want the ministers of my beloved country to be Bible-reading ministers, the congregations, Bible-reading congregations, and the nation, a Bible-reading nation, to bring about this desirable end. I cast in my might into God's treasury. The Lord grant that it may prove not to have been in vain. End of chapter 5